Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, Dungeonistas, and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and of course, thank you for leaving us a review on iTunes. Find us on Twitter, I'm at Jay Beardmore, this podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon, and of course, the world's biggest rugby podcast, the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast can be easily found on Twitter at Rugby Podcast, as can the Thistle Rugby Pod, which covers everything Scottish rugby. Right, big announcement time. If you heard Egg Chasers last week, you'll know that we are going to Romania to cover the Romania versus Georgia game over the Six Nations. We're going to be doing a little bit more Tier 2 stuff, and we're going to be doing a live podcast in Bucharest on the Sunday prior to the game, we think. If you want to get involved with the live show, come watch us record an episode. We don't know how it's going to look, how it's going to sound, but we are sure that you will enjoy yourself. And even if you don't, you're out there watching high-quality rugby. So what could possibly go wrong you want to do those things find us on facebook let us know and we will let you know the details or just tweet us just get in contact with us you'll be absolutely fine today's guest is jamie gibson not going to ruin too much not going to tell you too much about it yet but jamie obviously plays for saints and he is a very interesting very eclectic character if you like lineouts, this will be a good podcast for you okay then sit back enjoy the interview Well, by the power of Skype, I am very pleased to be joined by Mr. Jamie Gibson. How are you, Jamie? I'm very well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for having me, and uh, it's good to talk to you. No, it's an absolute pleasure, and as soon as I heard that you had a food blog, I thought, Craggy, this guy has got the best of both worlds, both food and rugby going on here. It's been a, it's, it's, well, I can't complain, it's been an enjoyable a few months cooking lots of food, eating it, and then get to go out and play rugby at the weekend, so um, my life's looking pretty good at the moment. Yeah, uh, it sounds it. So what have you been up to today? Is today a training day for you guys? Yeah, so train this morning. Obviously played Saturday. So today was more recovery and then um, S&C based. Mm. Um, we actually had a little team activity doing some um, climbing, you know, rock climbing on you know, in one of the indoor rock playing this afternoon. Really? A, a bit of fun, sort of conditioning based, but pretty hard on the arms and the upper body. And then got home, looked after the family, and um, just uh, been playing around with a little recipe on the uh, barbecue tonight. Oh, excellent. Uh, just go back to the climbing a second. Is that something that you, that you do often at Saints, little team building things? Um, it's sort of thing that happens intermittently through it. Obviously, in pre-season, I think you know, most clubs do quite a bit of it. You know? um, it it's one of those things where getting off site, especially you know, in the middle of winter, mm. when the nights are drawn in, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, games come thick and fast. You know, the Christmas period, you know, you're, you're playing sort of every week against, you know, top, top quality opposition. And every now and then you just need to get away from, you know, the, your home training field and little activities like that where, you know, a bit of fun, a bit of a laugh. Um, you know, the, what we did today was, you know, a local place in Northampton. Um, had a bit of fun, you know, so climbing, um, so, yes, yeah, so doing a bit of climbing and then uh, taking through this, what they call the cave, which is, you know, pitch black. Oh, wow. Um, tunnels that you yeah, go through. We have to go through sort of squeezes and things like that. And, a bit of fun seeing some of the some of the bigger lads having to be pulled through because they didn't get stuck. But all those little things just you know they add, add a little bit of spirit to the club. You know we'll go back in tomorrow and train, and they'll, you know the atmosphere will be you know that bit that bit improved, and you know boys keep looking forward to things. So let's have a think about this. You're long and lean. I imagine you're quite a good climber, good reach. I imagine someone like a Nick Groom or a Foden would be a particularly good climber, good power to weight. Who are the particularly bad climbers? Well, obviously, looking at good climbers, you know, Woody himself is, you know, prides himself on it. And oh, really? He's clearly the best. 
you know, he lo- he loves his uh, his tree climb, mountain climbing, and you know he he does a lot of it himself. So you know, he he's probably the best. Um, as you said, you know it's, it is about power to weight ratio. You know, after after you've done a couple of climbs up here, your, your forearms start to fall off, and, and then you know you're gone. Yeah, um, you've got no hope there. So um, didn't actually. So we were in the uh, the cave for quite a lot of the time when some of the, uh, the, the the bigger lads were doing it. So I didn't see what they were what they were like, but. Um, most of the boys, you know, if, if you give them a, a chance to have a go and things like that, they'll they'll give it a good chance, and you know they're, they're strong enough to pull themselves up until until their I said their forearms fall off, and then then everybody struggles. So Tom Woods, a climber. Oh, he loves his outdoor stuff. Um, whether that be you know, shooting, climbing, fishing, um, you know, does does a bit of work in, in at home with some some woodwork stuff, and but you know he he, he loves that and he, he gets involved all the time. Well, I did not know that. Well, he's not the only one with some um, unusual adventurous hobbies. Tell me about what you're up to with your food blog at the moment. Where, well, how has this all come about? I've always enjoyed cooking. And um, for the last, well, since my, my wife was, you know, she, we've had two little boys now. So when she first fell pregnant with my first about three years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, I started getting some more and more into the cooking. Um, and I've probably been badgering her um, about recipes, about how we should do things, about the sort of things, you know, I like to do and she wants to do. And about six months ago, she decided that um, rather than me badgering her all the time, that I should probably start writing down online. And she <laughs> set me up and it's gone from there. Oh, I see. Not a dissimilar story on my end then. I think my wife got bored of me talking about which front row to select. So she made me do a rugby <laughs> It's one of those things, I suppose. I can't can't complain. It's been it's been a, a good few months. And, you know, she, she does a lot of the photography. She's absolutely brilliant at that. She's, you know, she's a design artist by, by trade. And, you know, between us, you know, we, we play around and it's been a, a good learning experience. Met a lot of, a lot of sort of new, new friends and, and been able to enjoy quite some quite good food at the same time. Excellent. So do you have a preferred uh, cuisine, preferred styles of cooking? Oh, it varies completely. I said I do, you know, I've got, a, got various little things. I've got a couple of outdoor barbecue, you know, wood-fired oven and a sort of charcoal-based based outdoor barbecue and ceramic barbecue, Kamado Joe. Um, Sorry, is got, that three barbecues outside, yeah? Two barbecues. So uh, charcoal, um, Kamado Joe, so a ceramic barbecue. Uh-huh. And a little um, wood-fired, um, sort of more pizza oven-style thing called an uni. Mm-hmm. Um, and then indoors, you know, obviously use the oven, the hob, and I've got something called Thermomix. Um, which is sort of like a high-powered blender heater at the same time. My God, um, my God. Between that, you know, I I just enjoy sort of playing with flavors, adding whatever I can to it. You know, whether that be, as I said, you know, roasting something in the barbecue to add a bit of smoky flavor or cook something in the oven to, to get that right or, you know, playing with a bit of pasta. Mm. Um, you know, anything I can get my hands on, basically. But over the last, you know, six months, I suppose, it's probably been the outdoor cooking that I've begun to enjoy more and more. That sounds incredibly manly on the well, as I said, it's a lot of fun. You know, it tends to cook large joints of meat, um, play with, you know, what you go onto at base, you know, spices, herbs, mm. um, you know, adding you know, smoke chunks to things. You say, I said, you're playing with fire. You, know, <laughs> you cut the odd burn, the odd, the odd sort of mark of pride, I suppose, for how long you've been cooking. And, you know, it's a very sociable thing to do. You know, we love having friends over, especially the little pizza oven. You know, children can get involved in making their own pizzas and, you know, cooking a big rack of ribs or, you know, having a long, slow cook for a few hours, especially in the summer, and you can sit outside and have a drink and, and smell the food cooking and then eat it at the end. Now, it's only a small step from barbecuing to going into things like hunting and rearing your own animals. Have you uh, gone on many shoots or, you know, uh, gone hunted your own? Um, I, I've not done it in terms of to provide myself with, with food yet. Mm. Something that I would love to do in the future um you know in in my ideal world when we've found a house of our own in a few years time i'd love to have a a room secluded somewhere where i have a sort of um an, a dry aging fridge you know some hanging space that you know if we were able to to, to go out a bit of hunting a bit of shooting i could mm. i could sort of do everything from start to finish you know, i'd like to love to do a butchery course um and and l- learn really learn about how you know cuts of meat how everything sort of starts starts at the beginning and, and seeing what you can create from there Oh well, yeah. Having your own in-house hanging hanging room or hanging fridge. Well, yeah, either so. So I'd love to have like a room which had, you know, uh, I said hanging space. You know, a few hooks to hang. They said whatever you whatever you're going for. A dry aging fridge with a bit of bit of salt at the bottom that you can you know you can age and cure your your meat properly. And then you know a few little gadgets. You know, some something like a vacuum pack. Yeah. A couple of yeah. other things I'd like to cook. You know, you put a sort of sausage makers slicers. 
make your own bacon, you know, cold smokers, everything you can imagine. So, you know, you, you start with whatever you start with, you know, a whole animal and, you know, butcher it, prepare it, age it, you know, maybe you want to smoke some of it or make your own bacon, your own cured meats or, or cook large joints and, and throw them together and see what you can make from it. Oh, your passion for food, this is a boring, rippy question, by the way. Does it make it easier or harder to live the professional lifestyle and eat the professional diet? Um, definitely think it makes it easier. Okay. Um, you know, I'm probably fortunate in the sense of that I'm almost trying to always put on weight. Yes. Um, you know, I, I would almost give anything at times to, to be that little bit heavier and, and get heavier easier. Um, but then on the other side of it, it means I can I can eat probably a little bit more than than some others might do. But you know you have to play at a certain weight. You have to. Yeah, but if you want to do that, if you're going to enjoy your food and 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 really you know really sort of train or hard eat the right stuff, you have to you have to eat good food and you have to enjoy eating your food. So you know, a lot of things I cook, you know, every now and again you're gonna you're gonna throw something sort of naughty together. You know, you're gonna do a rack of ribs, then put a thick barbecue sauce on it with a lot of sugar or whatever you're gonna cook with it. But a lot of the things you do are, you know, roasted, um, you know, meats with a, you know, a simple base. Um, or as I said, you know, tonight I did um, some portobello mushrooms and you know, a scattering <laughs> of toppings. And, you know, it's those things like that, which actually, you know, they're not unhealthy. You know, I start from a list of basic ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no um, additives, nothing, you know, store-bought. You, you buy you know, your, your garlic, your onion, your herbs that you want to start with, you want to prepare, and, and you go from there. And as a result, it's probably sort of healthier in some ways than, than a lot of other cooking. Yeah, probably, actually. Uh, tell me this, does it, does it make you a lot more popular in the uh, dressing room? Um, I, well, it's, it's sort of thing that we've just had, just had a, little, a second little baby <laughs> uh, a couple of months ago, so it's been a, a busy uh, couple of months. But now getting more and more boys over um to enjoy your cooking and and just as you said you know it's, it's a very sociable thing you know had the uh, waller brothers over to try some some water buffalo uh, a couple wow. of months back which which went down pretty well and was a little bit different um you know you're gonna have a few free people over for some pizzas when the uh, nutritionist allows us to do that if, if we win a game at a weekend sometimes so um it's definitely sort of thing that as you said it's, it's a sociable thing uh yeah you must be a nightmare for the nutritionist when they ask what have you had and you say mallard field mouse and eurasian lynx <laughs> it's it's quite quite good fun trying to discuss with the uh the commission <laughs> what, what food's actually good for you and what food's not um but as i said you know they understand that you know you have to eat a certain amount you know we're not trying to be as, as slim and as you know lean as possible there's, there's a balance to find and you know, you've got to maintain weight and it's gonna be the right sort of weight but to do that you have to you have to eat food that you enjoy you're looking forward to eat and you have to enjoy it now you mentioned before you were looking to put on weight what's your listed weights I'm currently about 107 kilos. 107 kilos, and how tall are you? you, you... Six five. Right. Okay. So by Premiership standards, you're very lean indeed. Then. So I suppose in so my sort of role in the back row that I run, you know, I'm probably probably about average. Now I'd like to play a couple of kilos heavier, mm-hmm. um, especially at certain times of the year. You know, when it when it's when the ground's hard and dry, you know, you can doesn't really matter what weight you are as long as you're you're feeling quick and you know quick off the fast and quick off the mark. But when it gets a bit it's a bit cold, a bit wet, a bit muddy, you know, you, you have to make sure you've got that that base of strength or base of weight. And you know, I'd always like to be that little bit heavier. But I've you know I've been around this weight for a while. I said you know I'm not not light by any means for my position. You know, there'll be you know I'll probably bang on average for. For the for the back row, you know, you you got some big blokes who are around 120 kilos, but yeah, a lot will sit between that 106, 110 kilo mark, um, especially line up forwards. Yeah, that really is your thing, isn't it? Because I had Glenn Delaney on a few weeks ago doing the podcast, and speaking to him off air, and he brought up your name in particular as someone who is an expert in this field. That's that's awesome to hear from Glenn. <laughs> so Glenn, you know, he coached me for a year at Irish, you know, as as I was sort of coming up and. You know, real nice guy and great coach to work with, and you know, to hear hear things of somebody you know who I respect so much is, is awesome. Yeah, Glenn's a great guy, actually. Um, one of the things we were speaking about was shortening the line using a driving line out. We tried about it off the air, and I thought actually it would make a great podcast. So, could you explain to me what is meant by shortening the line by using a drive? Well, I suppose you, you you start basically from you know your your numbers in. You know, what are you trying to get create? Um, you know, if you've got it's a seven-man line out, it's out wide, it's just backs on back. So, you know, depending on what's the movement, if you can go to the tail, you know, you give your backs 
um, you know, more space, easier ball to to attack with. But you know, if you can drive that and suck in all their forwards, um, you know, you're going to draw their their nine, their ten, their twelve in tighter and tighter and tighter, which should open up space elsewhere, either open side or blind side. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, with you know reduced numbers, you know, you've seen teams going five, four, three man lineups you know, at the moment. It just it, it gives you you know difference of ball players, difference of um, you know difference of physical, more, more physical players out wide potentially trying to manipulate who they're running against and, and create space, you know, not necessarily that first phase, but second, third space phase when you've got, you know, the players you want running against uh, either space or against, you know, weaker defenders. Tell me this then, if you were to design a set of lineouts, would you do so by having one base formation, which you run a lot of things out, or would you split your time equally practicing different types of numbers, different types of formations? I, I think you definitely want to have um, different, yeah, different numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially you know, a lot of sides use the the reduced numbers to um to exit to you know to to get out of their own half, their own twenty two. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, depending on which teams you play against, um, you know, the more lineup forwards they have, you know, the better they're going to be at defending. You know, fewer options, and you might have to you know go for a seven man lineup to to as they create space within the lineup. You know, if if, if a side's got three good jumpers. And they're in a five-man lineup. They've got they've got three players who are dangerous, and you know they they could they could put a lot of pressure on you. But if they've they've only got two jumpers, then you're always going to have a weak link to pick on. Oh, I see. So you're looking at who the good jumpers are, and then picking the formation accordingly during the game. Well, obviously, you know. So within you're within a five-man lineup, you've probably got your two props and and three jumpers. Yeah. Um, and you know, some sides will have three good jumpers. Some sides might have one or two good jumpers. And you know, it's it's about trying to find you find you know opposition's you know weaknesses mm-hmm. um exploit that but then again you know some sides might defend um as a backline very well off five man lineups but struggle off seven man lineups or you know look, depending on how you how your team drives you know if you can drive off five six or seven man lineups you can you said you can create space elsewhere you can manipulate the defense to do things they don't want to do and and you know it's, it's well, i said yeah there are a lot more lineups than scrums in a game Mm. Um, as a result, you know it's, it's the major set piece in terms of, of restarting play. And you know, if you can if you can be dangerous, whether that means as a drive, as as you know what you're playing off the top, you know peels around the front, around the back, um, you can cause a lot of teams a lot of problems. Now, one of the formations that's really popular at the moment is the six plus one, so six forwards plus another forward. Just explain to the listeners what the advantage is of dropping the scrum half from the lineup. It, it, well, obviously, if you go um, six plus one, the, the first advantage is um, whoever your plus one is, if you're going to drive, is on the ball straight away. You know, he doesn't have to be moved from the line out. You know, he, he's waiting for it, mm-hmm. which does mean that, you know, that at a very basic level, it might mean your drive setup's more, you know, more solid, um, easier to get people in the right place. Yeah. Um, some teams, you know, struggle defensively with six man. You know, you, you lose an, one number in the defensive line, which might create space elsewhere. Um, but I suppose it's it's a lot of what you can play off. You said you can get a decent drive set up, but then likewise, you know, if you have a forward breaking out from a drive set up, you know, and, and giving a pass to the scrum half, you know, you're that bit wider already. Rather than the scrum half passing from the base, you know, he's got a maybe five, ten meter start, and you know, it creates a lot of problems with with opposition in terms of how they deal with your variations and, and what you do. And now, if you see um, if you see a six plus one yourself. How do you go about defending that? Do you assume that they're going to immediately drive? Your your first priority has to be to stop stop the the, the drive. Okay. Um, okay. That's the case with you know with whatever numbers they've got five six seven even four man. Um, you know it, it, the set piece is is the first part of the game. You know, it's like like a scrum. You know you stop the scrum, then you defend as a backline or back row after that. So you know sides do drive a lot from from six man and. You know, certain people in your lineup. You know, your your backlifter, your your plus one in defence himself. Maybe your your whoever's in the channel. If you put your hooker in the channel or, or somebody else in the channel, you know, they have to be aware of you know what the opposition is doing. Do the opposition have you know triggers about whether they're driving or that they're going off the top or they're going to play some sort of you know um, sneak play or? Um, but as you know, if you're in the middle of the lineup, your first priority is obviously turn the ball over. Yeah, you can't do that. It's put pressure and disrupt it. And if you can't do that, it's then stop the drive. Um, and yeah, obviously, on some teams that's more focused than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's something that you see so you you look at week on, week to week and and see who you're playing against. Do you have a, a personal a personal preference? I.e., if there's a driving team, do you prefer to disrupt them in the air, or do you prefer to wait for them to come down? And it, it depends what what's what they're trying to do off their drive as well. You know, some teams you might go in with a plan to, as said, compete 
hard across the pitch because you feel that that's you know an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, some teams you might try and force them to if they've got a you know a hooker who struggles throwing to tail, you might force them to try and throw that ball to put pressure on him. Um, and otherwise, sometimes you might give them the front of the line out and basically say, you know, it's the hardest place to drive off, hardest place to play off. And if mm. they take the front, you've got all, you know, all seven of your forwards behind the ball. Yeah. Um, and you basically say, well, actually, you can take it, but good luck. And um, you see what you can create from there. Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of almost giving up the front ball, almost letting them know they can have it. So they've got a longer pass to get to the 10 and you being able to use that to your advantage and put pressure on him. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if playing off the front is, is very hard. Um, you know, but then again, some teams do it well. And, um, you know, if, if a team's got a good drive or depending also the, the, you know, conditions of the game, you know, if you are, uh, five or six, maybe 10 points down, you know, you probably have to look at, you know, you need, you need the ball back. You can't just, you know, uh, you know, put pressure on them and make them, you know, exit, make them play from a difficult phase of the game. But if you are, you know, 10 points ahead, it's a very different story. You know, you're quite happy for them to, you know, take take the front because they said it makes your defence a lot easier first few phases, um, oh, course, and yeah. it puts them under even more pressure. Oh, that's really interesting, actually. So you give them the front because you think they're going to take more time to develop their develop their 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 attack from there. Well, as you said, you know, the best ball to attack from the lineout is the tail. Yeah. Um. You know, you are you've got all the forwards out of the way. You know, it means if you go off the top, you've got a whole back line to um, attack against just their back line. Mm-hmm. If you drive from it, you're, you know, as I said, their forwards, you know, have to get round, you know, have to, you know, they have to work a bit harder, have to move a bit further to, to defend the drive. So, and then the other side, it opens up the blind side. You know, it, it means you now have two sides to attack from rather than just one, which puts even more pressure on the defense. So, you know, you give them the front, um, it's hard to drive. You know, as I said, if they play off the top, it's a long, long way for the scrum half to pass the fly half, which means that, you know, you've got a lot of forwards able to push out, get wider, which takes pressure off your backs, um, and it just it generally you know can you know it creates more problems for the for the attack to to open up space and and allows you to put even more pressure on their lineup. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense because the ball goes past all the forwards and the backs get the ball so they can play. So what therefore do you make of the five man sets when you have two runners in midfield, and how would you go about u- utilizing that? Well, obviously you know you you can still drive. Mm. Um, which you know you, you've got reduced numbers, but that if you've got a good drive, it is harder to defend with fewer numbers. But then you know, it's harder to attack as well. Yeah. But it does allow you to you know if you put your best two ball carriers, and you know depending on where you manipulate them, where you put them, you might have them running against you know you might have a 120 kilo number eight running against uh, you know a, a small fly half, or you know if you think of the weakness, you know teams will defend to try and stop that. But um, you know you're, you're trying to manipulate your best players, you know to to run at their weakest players. Um, and you know you can create things off that, and sometimes it's not necessarily first phase; it, it might be second phase or third phase. You know, you're looking to try and get your you know, the runners you want in either space or against weaker defenders in, in the right places. Okay, so you, you carry on talking about setting up future phases. How aware are you then in the first and second phase about what you're doing in the present there affecting the later phases, and how many phases do you usually have planned ahead? Uh, during a lineup routine, uh, yeah, well, so some teams plan further ahead than others, um, you know. But you, you'll tend to know, you know, probably first two, maybe three, sometimes even four phases. You know, obviously, it, it depends what the defense does. You know, a line break is the ultimate ultimate goal, and, and a trial for line breaks, so you'd be ready for that. But you said, you know, Premiership defenses are very well organized. Mm. Yeah, it's rare you see somebody make a line break first phase. Yeah. And as a result, you have to have a plan. You know, how can you break down the second phase? You know, do sides defend differently? Do they do they overload the blind side? Do they sort of overfold and, and give you a blind side? And you know, it's about trying to, you know, as I said, the, the whole game, is, as Glenn probably said to you before, is you're trying to get your best players running against either their weakest players or into to open space. Um, and it's about manipulating through either you know regular regular play or through your set piece to, to get the results you want right okay then so you will know that second phase you'll be doing something else and third phase you'll be doing another another thing with quite some certainty yeah then. so yes there'll be idea obviously there's there's always chances to overcall it yeah um but that that is the the general idea so what level of organization in terms of you know, multiple phases do you think that most premiership teams are, are operating with I would have thought that most premierships have at least three phases pretty well organised. Wow! Um, they're, they're looking to you know that most teams have a, a general phase play sort of system that they run. Yeah. Um, and they will basically you know their set piece will be about getting either to score 
Yeah. Or to get into a position where they can go into their general phase play. Um, ah. You'd have thought, you know, three phases probably probably about what most teams have have pre-planned. So, will one call necessarily? So, with one call, the the whole team will know what's coming the next three phases. Pretty much so. Amazing. I I I, I, gen, I genuinely had I gen, genuinely had very little very little idea of that. Um, j, j, so, can you give us an example then of? Um, a play where it comes down from a line out, say, and not a Northampton play because obviously I don't want you giving away any of the state secrets. But something you might see from a, a, a Premiership team, what they'd be doing the next two or three phases. So you know, a very simple play, I suppose, would be you know from the line out off the top, um, and either going direct to your twelve or going to a ten and a twelve and hitting up the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. We're trying to target their their fly half if you can. Um, and then from that, the, you know, there would have been preset calls about whether you've got forwards coming around the corner off the scrum half, yeah, or forwards going to go across the forwards to the fly half of the backs to play. Mm. Um, and then, you know, depending on what you know the decision is there, the the, the third phase will, will alter. Um, you know, you might go. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Forwards off nine, and then the next phase is, is backs, or the next phase is forwards again. Or you might go backs first phase out wide, and then you've got some of your forwards running off nine out wide again. Mm. Ah, okay. And, and how, much, how much of this um, of this stuff are you seeing from opposition teams during your analysis in the week leading up to a game? Well, as you said, you know, most teams will come into each game with, with something new. Um, you know, that it will be based on, on what they do well. Yeah. Um, but it's a your analysis, you know, it starts, I said, with, with the line-out or the scrum. You know, what do they try and do in the set piece? You know, do they drive a lot? Do they play off the top? Do they have, you know, um, create plays around them all? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I say a general phase play, do they play off the scrum half? Do they play off the fly half? Um, you know what sort of thing are they just trying to run hard are they trying to, to trying to do more things and you know across across the week you know you, you look at the analysis and you know you, you tend to know players pretty well once you've been in the league for a few years you've yeah. played against everybody several times and you know you start to know what what players like to do um, you know and, and you start to learn what, what sides and what coaches like to do and you know you try and create um, a, a plan to, to defend against that or attack against that and, and likewise they're doing the same okay so um, so on that then how long will it take a team if they are changing their lineup strategy to install that new strategy so it's ready for the next match? Well, as I said, it's, it's probably not so much new, but you know, a variation of something that you already do. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's you know, oh, the, the, if some if a side has seen you do something for several weeks in a row, mm-hmm. can you do something slightly different to to you know, so they make them think you're doing something that you do and then do it differently or. You know, or do you bring something completely new? You know, as I said, every every team will have frameworks around, you know, large parts of their game, and it's about you know adapting those, varying those, um, and creating things around them. So, you know, if sides know know their frameworks well, it takes very little time because you know it's it's a sort of note on a, on a you know on a sort of a PowerPoint presentation you know, early on in, in the week, and then. You probably walk through and then and then run at full speed and and by that point you should know it. Oh, I say okay. And have you ever been? Have you ever been in a situation where you've studied an opposition, you think you know what they're going to do, and they've come out and done something completely different? Oh, definitely. That that, that definitely happens, especially when you get into the uh, competition. So the Champions Cup, um, coming up against the French sides um, or the other sides. You know, you don't necessarily see them as often, but mm. 
what footage you have or what time you've played against them, you know, they they can come in with something completely different. But it does happen you know, within the Premiership, you know, especially you know some sides you know play slightly different from home from away. Um, you know, some side you might expect a very tight physical battle on Sunday. They play wide all the time. They're trying to run you off your feet, and you know it, it does happen. But you know, you, you tend to you know, you're, you're ready for whatever they throw at you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the the the, lead, the leaders within your side and you know the coaches will try and work out as quickly as possible what they're doing, um, and then you adapt from there. Ooh, I, I don't suppose you've got a particular example of when this might have happened. Um, probably hard to um, point to any any specific game. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously early on in the season, again, you know, um, sides do things in pre-season and then, then season starts and they do something very different. So, you know, it does take you know, a few games in the beginning of the first few weeks of the season to work out how, how sides are progressing. Yeah. Um, and it's those sort of things, but as you said, it, it, it's probably quite hard to remember, you know, specific games where, where I've ever faced that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I've probably put you a bit on the spot there. Um, just going back to the line out, uh, quickly, um, how easy is it to work out other teams' calls or their trigger movements? Um, in terms of their calls, very, very hard. Yeah. Um, you know, most sides huddle, especially when you've got loud stadiums. You know, if you're playing up at, you know, sold-out stadiums, you know, uh, Franklin's Gardens, Welford Road, um, you know, other stadiums around the country, you know, it's, it's hard to hear, you know, calls. So pe- people tend to huddle, um, make some sort of calls within the line-out. And as a result, it's, you know, you're not going to be able to sort of crack their code, so to speak. Mm. Um, you might pick up during a game if they've got a checkout. You know, if they're checking out to the front or the back, you might be able to pick that up or so whether they che- drive. If they're checking out, just just explain what that so, means. Um, you know, so most sides will go in with with you know a call, but if their call's marked up, yeah, they'll have a couple of options to to go elsewhere just in case. You know, it might be to the very front if you're giving them the front, but you've marked middle and back or mm-hmm. or, or elsewhere. Um, so you know, yeah, you might be able to pick that up during the game, but. On the whole, it's you know it's about as I said, watching you know the way they 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 move, the way the hooker throws it. Um, you know, depending on whether you're near the front of the lineup or near the back of the lineup, you can you know pay more attention to the hooker because you've got more time to react to to his throw. Um, and then it's looking at you know obviously to, to have a lift on the whole, you need two lifters and a jumper. Yeah. Um, so if you've only got two people next to each other, they're probably not going to go in that space. But if something that's a third person moves in, you have to you have to be ready to to put pressure there. Ah, right, yeah. Yeah, so in terms of line-outs then, um, now, I always think of it broadly as if you want clean ball, you're going to have to use a lot of movement. Is that always the case? Uh, d- definitely not always the case. Okay. Um, if you use lots of movement, you tend to either going to win the ball easily yep. or you're going to lose the ball. Go um, on. You know, some sides will mirror, which means they'll try and copy your, your exact moves. Um, and in that case, lots of movement makes it harder for them to defend. Some sides will go, move to you know a pod and then they might just wait. Mm. In which case, all your movement might be completely for nothing when they're just standing where you're moving to. Yeah. They might you know let you move and, and wait for it. And you know as as a line at the fence, you know you're doing the same. You you might you know try and mirror them sometimes. You might sit and wait for something that you expect other times. And you know, depending on they say on you know the conditions of the game, depending on how their you know the weather conditions, mm-hmm. um, how their hooker might be throwing, you know the pressure their lineup caller might be under, um, you, know, you, you adapt. You know the general consensus is you know if you mirror as a defence, yeah, or you're facing a mirror defence, they're going to be close. Um, so it's about you know your drill. You know that they'll be just behind you, which means that you know you might be a couple of foot above them in the air, or just in front of them, or just behind them. Um, but you know it does put pressure on you as as a as a lineup to make sure your your lineup drills right. So if you're but, u- if you're using a lot of a lot of movement and they are mirroring, it's basically all about your details then. Yes, exactly. I uh, see. You you have to you know bad movement is easy to you know sort of pick apart. You know as I said, you know to to lift to have a pod you know and to jump. You tend to need two lifters either side of a jumper, you know, very close to each other. Mm. So if you're trying to do a dummy and yet there's a big space between a back lifter and a jumper, you know, as a defence, you can work out that it's probably not going to go there, and you can, you know, move elsewhere and try and get ahead of the uh, ahead of the game rather than be constantly just behind them. So if they're not mirror, mirroring movement, I assume they're just going up in fixed positions then. Yeah, so not necessarily just that they might have, you know, a pod who is, you know, sort of licensed to roam a little bit. You know, they might be covering. 
you know, two or three meters of space with a pod. And it's up to that pod, you know, to guess or to move into spaces that he expects the ball to go to on each individual line out. Mm. But as I said, you know, um, you know, some sides will, you know, sometimes you might incorporate a bit of both. You have some players, some people mirroring, some people sort of in fixed positions or, um, you know, you might say, or at, at first we might, you know, mirror and then later on, you know, might change or with certain movements, you might change the way you defend. Mm. And as I said, it, it depends on the state of the game. You know, if, if you are under pressure to get win the ball back, you know you have to probably sort of mirror a little bit, compete a little bit harder for the ball. If you know if you if you've got a, a nice lead and you're trying to defend the lead and and you want to you know take the pressure off yourself, you're probably going you know take away what the dangerous balls are and give them things that you want to you easy find it easy to defend. Yeah, it comes back to what you said before, I guess. And it's not until you say it and put it in those terms you'd even notice it happen. Certainly not for the casual fan like me. I'd have no idea that all that was going on. Yeah, I was, I was getting. You know, if I get home after a game, you know, I speak to um, my father-in-law, and you know, he tends to, tends to watch the games, and you know, he's not got a long sort of rugby background, mm. you know, so he's always saying, "Oh, you know, why didn't you compete in the lineup, or you know, why didn't you do this? Why did you kick the ball into those spaces, or and things like that?" And you sit there and go, "Well, you know, I suppose for somebody who's who's not aware of particular situation, or or he said doesn't have a massive knowledge of what's going on, you know, it might seem like you're, you know, not." You know, not doing what what makes sense in other weeks, but you know, it tends to be a plan. Mm. Um, you know, depending, and I said from a lineup point of view, if, if a side's very very good at the lineouts, um, you know, you're, you're going to struggle to to put pressure on them in certain areas, and so you choose to take away spaces for them and, and make them do something different. Um, if if a side you think is slightly weaker, and there's an opportunity, you might you might really put pressure on on, on them and, and get alongside them and, and put the uh, jumpers and the hookers under pressure throughout the game. I see. And how important to you is tempo with 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 lineups? Again, it it's dependent on on sort of what you're trying to do off it. Yeah. If if you are on your own five meter line out and you know you're under a lot of pressure and they just kick the corner and you know you don't really want to rush in, and win the ball and then finally you've got no support because you know you've taken your own team by surprise and actually what you need to do there is, is exit. Mm. But likewise, on the other side of the pitch, you know. If, the quicker you can get to a line out, the quicker you can restart the game. You know, it doesn't give them a breather, it doesn't give them a chance to reset and, and work out what to do. And, and you know, it can make you know your own line out easier. It can make your attacking playoff that easier. Um, and and it works both ways. I see. Uh, well, I think that's pretty much as in depth an explanation on line outs as you're going to find anywhere else on a podcast. So, thank you for that. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, Now, our listeners have probably clocked on to the fact that you're a fairly bright individual. And talking to um, people around the game, is your nickname at one point The Professor? Um... I've not not so massively been called that, but a few people used to joke. Obviously, I studied um, classics at Oxford University um, while I was London Irish. And then, as you said, you know, I've always enjoyed... um, enjoyed aspects of the game enjoyed the sort of the knowledge behind the game the learning behind the game and and um like to put the two together yeah i think to be fair that comes through uh, very very clearly um you said classics can you speak latin uh, no you, uh, not i can't speak it um you know we looked at reading um reading writing a little bit but then looking at a lot of the um ancient literature archaeology architecture um and everything around that the history history around that incredible um, uh, did you get the opportunity to, to play varsity? No, I didn't. I, I was injured, um, injured my first year, and I chose to play for London Irish from that point onwards, and obviously moved on to to Leicester. Oh, that's a real shame. Uh, it always feels like varsity is fairly early on in the season, actually. Uh, it's in December, um, so it's obviously you know tends to be rather. Mid. So my from that point on, London Irish, obviously, you know, I chose my uh, second year that I wanted to play play rugby properly, play Premiership rugby, and. You no, know, you're you're already three months into the season, and and you know, you can't miss that that first chunk. And I said, you know, I I made that decision and and loved every minute of playing for Lanarish and never looked back. Yeah, with hindsight, it certainly looks like you made the right decision. Um, yeah, I was just wondering about Varsity actually. Uh, it is a rather strange event because it's almost instead of trying to keep a consistent performance throughout the year, it's like you're trying to peak. Yeah, well, as I said, it's, it's, trying it's, to peak. it's a very different. You know, it's, it's a bit like the difference between. Um, you know, I suppose um, competition rugby and as I said league rugby. You know, one as you said, you need to be consistent. You need to pick up points. You know, wherever it matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you might have the opportunities to rest players, or you might choose to rest players because 
you know, it, it, you're either away from home or, you know, you feel that you have an opportunity that, you know, to get let other people, um, you know, come and perform. Mm-hmm. Whereas in competition rugby, you know, every match, you know, counts on that point. You know, if you, if you lose a game, you get knocked out. Um, and that's the same as saying, you know, you look at the season, you know, the way the premiership goes this year, you know, now with the Champions Cup, you know, there, there's very few opportunities to, um, to rest players. So coaches have to be quite creative in the way they, you know, they rotate. You need to have a squad of, know at least 30 if not 40 45 top top players who who can you know sort of rotate in and out and and have no difference in 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 the performance and obviously you know the way it works is you know you get game time throughout the year and hopefully whoever's you know the the aim is to be playing you know playing best so when it does come to the big games you know the semi-finals finals um you're on top form and you get picked because because you've deserved over the course of the season so you're fairly unusual then being in oxbridge and then going into professional rugby what was your path into that and will you be to be returning at some point well as i said i always um you know i wanted to go to oxford mm-hmm. um i wanted to, to study there but at the same time i wanted to um to play the rugby you know i wanted that was what i enjoyed doing that's what i loved doing um and you know i did did them alongside each other i did you know did the oxford classics for two and a half years at the alongside rugby and Irish, and then um got called up to the um south africa to england tour to south africa um, and you know that would have meant missing six weeks or an eight-week term, and and made the choice then that actually you know I was going to focus on the rugby, um, stepped away from Oxford, and, and you know haven't looked back since then. Wow, incredible! So you were part of a pretty talented London Irish team. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so well, I suppose my we we I mean, we had the year before I arrived, they got to the final. Yeah. Um, first couple of seasons, you know, I played there. We had you know, yeah, some top top quality players throughout the side. You know. Looking from you know the Armitage brothers, um, say Lala Mapasur, Lossi Tadithakubao, and then you know forwards Nick Kennedy, Bob Casey, um, you know some top top level props, um, and, and you know there was a load of quality. And then you know, I was fortunate enough to be part of a you know top top level academy. You know Neil Hatley and um, Justin Bishop ran it ran it then, and you know, there was in my my year you had like sort of you know JJ as in at Bath, Matt Garvey. Um, you know, Marlon Yard was just below. Tom Homer was just above, and you know we 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 worked hard. You know, Hats worked us worked us hard, but you know he um, put us into places that we could succeed, and and you know we've enjoyed it from then. Tell me a little bit about working with Neil Hatley because obviously he's got a very important role with the national setup now. Oh, you know he was he's a sort of a top top guy, um, really really nice bloke. But you know he he made it very clear early on that you know he he would fight for the for his players. You know he he would fight to sort of, you know, in front of the coaches to, to show that you deserved your place, that, you know, you deserved to start. But, you know, in return for that, in terms of the respect that he showed you, you know, we had to, to work, you know, extra hard to make sure that we knew what we were doing, that we, you know, we were more prepared, you know, you worked hard on the gym, hard on the pit field to, so that you didn't let him down and didn't let yourself down. Oh, that's nice. Um, you're probably in a really good position then to talk a little bit about that squad and the reasons it kind of just disintegrated. Uh, was that purely a monetary thing? Um, no, I suppose it was one of those things that, um, you know, I said London Irish as, a, as one of the smaller clubs then in terms of, you know, finance, you know, backing, you know, they relied on their academy for years. Um, and, you know, year after year, they, you know, produced top, top quality players throughout the academy. You know, when I, when I first started, you know, watching it, you know, you people at Topsy Ojo coming through, David Pace, yeah. um, you know, the likes of those lot, you know, who, who came through, you know, years before we did. But, you know, went all the way, played international rugby and, and you know, put Lanarsh on, on the map in many ways. Um, and then, as you said, you know, over the years, you know, the, the last couple of years, you know, a couple of changes in coaching setups, you know, there was, you know, a change in the way the academy was run. And, and as a result, they, they struggled a little bit with, you know, with, with some recruitment. Um, you know, the fact that if, if, you, if you lose a few academy players, you know, because suddenly, you know, we had seven or eight of us who, you know, were all suddenly three or four years into our career, um, you know, not everybody's going to stay, and it's about you know, as as a as a coach, it's about you know, keeping the players you want, um, and and making sure you have the squad that you think is is right to to fight for for the, for the league. Okay, then. So if you don't mind me asking, what was it about Tigers that turned your head? Well, as I just said, you know, I was you know a young back row forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had quite a bit of experience. I played seventy odd times for London Irish, so you know, I probably had more experience than many people my age in terms of of game time. But you know, Leicester is has always been was always one of the sort of biggest clubs in the league. You know that they, you know they, they, they're always there or thereabouts in terms of top four, top two, winning the Premiership, you know, Heineken got a Champions Cup now, um, and as you said, you know, 
it's, it's there's not many better sort of proving grounds as as a forward. So you know, when they they came, you know, calling, it was a, it was a hard decision to make. Um, but you know, I felt it was a very difficult one to turn down, and and you know, I, I'm very glad I made the choice. Now, when you sign for Leicester and you walk through the door for the first time, is there a noticeable difference in attitude or the way things are done? What's the place like? Oh, there was, you know, both clubs have a very different sort of way of, of, of style of play where doing things. Okay. Um, you know, when I first started on Irish, obviously, you know, the, 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 the focus was, was on, you know, sort of creating, you know, flair on attack, you know, top, top quality attacking players. And, you know, we knew we could cause any side problems. And obviously Leicester has a slightly different focus. It was more sort of set piece, more physical base. Obviously, Welford Road is a, a much smaller pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then the other side of it, you do have the the history. You know, do have the heritage. You know, Leicester was a club that expected to win every game, every week. You know, be involved in every single final, win every. You know, and that that was based on recent history and you know a hundred years of history. Um, and as a result, there was probably a slightly different focus. You know, that there was a you know the squad w- was ready to you know to perform week in week out, and you know it, it wasn't acceptable not to to perform, not to win. You know, every game that you played in. Yeah, I find your time at Leicester very interesting because I, you know, I, I think I think Leicester thought so as well. You did very well there, so it's even more surprising to see you go to their bitter rivals, Northampton. And it's interesting because I can't think of many players that have actually gone down that route. I'm sure lots of people on Twitter will get in contact with me now and tell me exactly how many players have done done that route. Uh, yeah, but just just tell me a bit about going to Northampton following a stint at Tigers. Um. It was a difficult one, as I said. You know, you know, I, I I loved my time at Leicester, and I felt that I improved massively as a player. And you know, I, I was fortunate enough to play a lot of rugby and play in some big, big matches. Mm. Um, you know, and you know, there's there's lots of reasons why you know players move on. You know, there's you know everything from you know I say contract basis to you know, style of play to to focuses on on the way things are done. And you know, I I felt at the time that um, you know I'd had certain frustrations with with you know certain things about my game at, at Leicester, mm-hmm. um, and you know Northampton. You know, as I said, were likewise. You know, one of the top clubs in England. They they had a, a different style of play, um, and you know, sort of thing that you know I, I I made the choice to to develop my game and and to 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 prove my to, you know try and prove my potential. That's interesting. So you say you have issues with your game. Do you mean like things you you personally wanted to improve on? Or yeah, aspect- so partly that. There was you know sort of a slightly different focus. You know, as I said. You know, I, I felt that every game I played for Leicester, I improved massively, and you no, know, I wouldn't be the player I was if I hadn't been there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I loved it at the club. You know, there's an unbelievable fan base. There's a great group of players, and there's a good coaching setup, and you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. But um, you know, I, I, you know, when Northampton came in, I knew that you know I was either staying at Leicester or I was moving to Northampton, and obviously there was you know various things in terms of the, the rivalry. But um, you know, just for very, lots of different reasons. You know, I felt that actually it was it was right to move on, and um, I don't I never look back. Well, I, I guess taking a young back row off your local rival is quite an audacious move. So I mean, that's quite a compliment in itself, I guess. Exactly, as I said, you know, I, it's one of those things that you know is always a sort of a bit of a you know, funny one that you, know, you, you want play, people to respect you, and you, you want them to to sort of not looking forward to playing you, but you want them to want you at the same time, and. You no, know, it's uh, to have but lots of clubs interested in you is, is a massive compliment to yourself, and you know it, it means you want to work harder. You know, going forward, you you look to to improve and get better and, and keep that going. Now, in the past, I've had guests on and I've asked them about back row play, and in particular, what qualities constitute a certain position. Now, obviously, there are different ways to play in the back row. Do you class yourself as a six, a seven? And if I was a director of rugby, you know, asking you about what you bring to the pack, what would those key skills be? Um, I suppose yeah. So you probably sort of have, but you know, there's there's a lot of sort of traditional concepts of of a back row, and there's a lot of sort of you know differences in terms of the way the actual game is played. You know, so it's balance. Um, no, I always feel that I said we've, we've talked about the set piece, about the line out. Yeah. You know, obviously yeah. that's that's a big part of my game. Um, and you know something that I enjoy, and I definitely think I bring to to all sides. But then, you know, likewise, I feel that you know, if given the opportunity, I'm I can compete at the breakdown defensively. You know, I suppose you know I, I like the understanding of the game. So, you know, I, I may not put my head down and follow the ball in the same way, but I hope I'm in the right place at the right time. And both as a as a ball carrier, as you know, as in terms of breakdown, in terms of defence, that 
you know, I, I'd like to, to hope that people, you know, respect, respect what I do. Um, understand that actually, you know, my, my aim is to, to be in the right place, the right time for the team. Um, and, and then go from there. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it does come through that you've got a real understanding, a real passion for the game. Uh, do you think after after you finish playing, you're going to look at, look at coaching? I've got no idea. Um, hopefully, I've got a few years left on me. You know, I'd love for the uh, the the food blog and the cooking you know, to take off. Right, you know, at the moment, you know, busy working you know, hard with my wife in terms of setting up a, a company for her. Okay. Design based company, you know, luxury nursery and you know her her art based stuff. Um, and you know, so, you know, I suppose coaching is always a possibility and I'd love, I'd always want to stay, stay in rugby and, you know, in some of the, whether that means coaching a local, local club or a local school, you know, I'm sure I'd love to keep doing that, you know, short term, but, um, got no idea in terms of whether oh. I'd want to coach properly. Well, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't end up being a coach at some level of the game or at least carving out a role, explaining the intricacies of set piece to the less educated like me, it will be a travesty. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so tell me, where can we find you on your social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all the rest of it, and also where can we get hold of the blog? Well, I'm I'm on Twitter and Instagram, obviously as myself. Um, the the food blog is called Butter Wouldn't Melt. Uh huh. Um, and it's it's www.butterwouldn'melt.com with no no obviously um what's it called apostrophe. Okay. Is. Um. But as you said, I tend to you know put things you know through Facebook, through Twitter. Um, but it's been, you said, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I get a chance to play with food, come up with recipes, and then met a lot of a lot of people you know, through it, and, and loved every minute of it. Excellent. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on. You've been a fantastic guest, and we'll have to get you on later on in the season. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Well, there he is, the eclectic Mr. Jamie Gibson. Thanks again to Jamie for coming on. Really, really appreciate that. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at jbeardmore. Um, you can find this podcast at The Rugby Dungeon. And, of course, go look up Egg Chasers and The Thistle too. You'll love them. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Really appreciate it. Don't know who's on next. I have got three or four interviews I've already done. I just need to decide which one I'm going to put out. But watch this space. There might be something a little bit different coming your way. But until then, when it all sorts itself out, let the boys play, and I will catch you next Monday on Egg Chasers. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.